0: Today's sermon passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 34. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expecting accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, my pride in you. By my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame.
1: So now, our Father and our God, we pray that you would take these words, your word, which is true and right and good and spoken to us. We pray you would take it and open our minds to receive them, cause us to believe them, cause us to be transformed deeply within. Lord, you are good. And we praise you. Lord, you're our hope and we look to you. We cry out, needing strength, needing your mercy, needing your grace, and praying that you would renew us by your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last 10 weeks, I've I've heard from you how awkward it is to sit in front of your television and sing with, like, four people. Um, And I will grant that to you because I have no idea. But I will tell you that you have no idea what it's like to sit in this room and not be allowed to sing because you're three feet from Dan's mic and your off keyness might somehow make its way into the live stream. So I'm glad that you were here today so that I could sing for the first time since early March. It's been good. Um, What we've been doing since Easter is we've been thinking deeply about the resurrection. One of the things I realized is we come to Easter Sunday, he's risen, he's risen indeed, we celebrate and then we kind of just move on with church. But that doesn't fit with the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, the resurrection is, is this central piece of truth upon which the whole house is built. Everything's built upon the resurrection. And so we said, let's slow down and let's, let's look at what the New Testament teaches us about the resurrection. And let's look particularly at the, the appearances of the resurrected Jesus and ask what they teach us. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to conclude this series. We've been calling it Risen Indeed. We're going to conclude it by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. So Austin just read the middle section to you, and next week we'll do the last section. Um, and then on June the 7th, some of you have been um, pursuing me fervently. What's our next book? What's our next book? What's our next book? So on June the 7th, we will begin a study through the book of Exodus, and most likely, Jesus will return before we finish. And that's not some prophetic vision. That's just a statement of, of fact. Thank you, Janet. I appreciate that. Um, which, which, by the way, it's really great to have feedback. So, welcome. Um, feedback away. Um, so what we want to do today is we're going to look at this passage, which Austin read for us. And, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that the resurrection is a vital truth in the foundation of our faith. And the whole house that we know as Christianity is built upon this Truth. Ultimately, what Paul argues here is if you take away the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. If you take away the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. So I'm going to plead with you today to receive the whole gospel of Jesus who lived, who died, who was buried, who rose again, and who ascended into heaven to redeem God's people of whom we are we have joy. But there's another implication from this passage that I want us to get today. See see God didn't make us all the same. And so some of us are the nerdy types. You could say amen, it's okay. Like the nerdy types like like we're wired up for philosophy and for truth and for thinking deeply about things and we like to read 300-page books over the weekend and ponder realities and argue about them. Okay? So God made some of us that way. But what this passage would say to those of us who are wired in that very philosophical bent is if your philosophical thoughts about God don't move to who you are and how you live and how you trust and how you obey, then your thoughts are short-sighted. Because the truth of the resurrection moves to a life that will endure hardship for the glory of God and move to a life that will pursue holiness for the glory of God because our hope is not in this life alone but in the life to come. So you see, this passage says, let your your theology move into action. There's another part of us, all of you who were just rolling your eyes when I was talking about the philosophical people, who are wired much more practically. Just, Just tell me what I need to know and what I need to do. That's great as long as our practicality is rooted in the truth of what God has said. Because doing for the sake of doing is a great way to miss Jesus. But living in accordance with what God has revealed is New Testament Christianity. So the philosophical and the practical, we need one another. We need one another, but this passage brings these two realities together because it says if if you take away the resurrection, you've taken away the foundation of the house and the whole thing crumbles. But have you ever gone through a neighborhood where the builder ran out of money and you just see some foundations? You know, just, just a concrete slab? Is that any good to anybody? Only if you need to park a trailer, right? It's not a house. It's a concrete slab. And so if all we have is a slab that's not that's not moving toward bearing fruit, then, then our our, our theology is not moving the way it's supposed to. So, what this passage says is Jesus really came, Jesus really died, Jesus really rose again, Jesus really ascended into heaven, and our entire faith is built off of that. Now, let's have this robust faith, robust thinking, robust living, robust sacrifice, robust hope that's rooted in a resurrected Jesus. That's the call of the New Testament. So, guys, one of the struggles i'm having in these shortened services is i get like 28 minutes to preach and i'm just getting warmed up at like 29 minutes right so this passage has eight sermons buried in it it's it's there so let me plead with you let this week be shaped by 1st corinthians 15 read it pray over it think about it meditate on it there's so much life altering truth in this passage that I want you to soak it all up. All right. So what we see is that the truth of Jesus is the center of our faith and it shapes everything about us. So if you are want to take notes, first point, does it matter? And so the Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians 15 He's going to start his argument in this passage by asking the question, does the resurrection matter? Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, sometimes, friends, we make the Bible way harder than it really is. So when Paul says, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection from the dead, that means that some people in Corinth were actually saying there's no resurrection from the dead. It was a real struggle in the church at Corinth. Now, you today might not be struggling with that question, but what's lasted from Corinth all the way to today is an approach to our faith that says we can pick and choose the parts of Jesus that we like, and we don't have to take all of it. And so so here in Corinth, they were saying, man, I really like that Jesus was a man. I really like that he was a teacher. I really like that he was a good teacher. I really like that he sacrificed his life for people. But we don't believe in life after death. We don't believe in resurrection from the dead. So I want Jesus, but without that resurrection thing. And what Paul is going to say is, no, it matters because the whole house is built on this reality of Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again. So you remember from several weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, Paul said, "...for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture." that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and on and on and on. And so what Paul is saying is the resurrection certainly matters because without resurrection, Christianity crumbles into nothing. How so, you might ask? Seven ways. We'll go quickly. Number one, without resurrection, Christianity crumbles because if there is no resurrection from the dead, and by definition, resurrection means someone dies, they're physically dead, and then they come back to life to live. Okay, If there is no resurrection, then number one, Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. So if resurrection is not possible, Jesus was not raised. And if Jesus was not raised, then Jesus is still dead. So the gospel is wrong if there is no resurrection. Number two, if there is no resurrection, then Paul and Peter and James and all the the Christians listed in the book of Acts and everyone who has spoken the gospel in history is a heretic and a liar. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, we have been misrepresenting God. And to misrepresent God is to tell a lie about God, and to be to tell a lie about God is to be a heretic. So Paul says that if Christ if there was no resurrection, Christ wasn't raised, and if Christ wasn't raised, we're telling lies about God. Number 3. If there is no resurrection from the dead, our faith is futile. Our faith is futile. Exactly, he says, our faith, your faith is in vain. Now, that word vain should, should raise up your, your Ecclesiastes reading, if you know the Old Testament, where everything is vanity of vanities, which just means vapor. It just means a mist that, that you can't even really see and disappears. And so what Paul is saying is that if, if there is no resurrection, and if Jesus wasn't raised, then our faith is Nothing but a mist that is worthless and is gone. It's just in vain. There is no Christianity. There is no church. There is nothing if you take away the foundation of the resurrected Christ defeating death. Number four, if there is no resurrection, we are still in our sins. We're still in our sins. If there is no resurrection, your sins are not forgiven. They're still on your shoulder. And you've added another sin by saying that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, when He didn't raise him from the dead, and we're left with no hope in our sin if Christ didn't raise from the dead, rise from the dead. Number five: if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then everyone who has died before us today is hopelessly dead forever. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then everyone who's died before us in this day is hopelessly dead forever because there is no hope of a life to come. Number six, if there is no resurrection from the dead, We as Christians are to be pitied. Have you ever been pitied for anything? You know, like you know people look down their nose at you and just kind of think, oh, how sweet, bless their heart." Maybe that's not you, I feel that often, you know, like they're pitying me right now. It's not a fun place to be. What this says is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead... We're idiots. Idiots. Pitiable. We commit our lives to a gathering in Jesus' name. We we, we commit large portions of one day a week to being with those people. We say we're wrong about things and we repent of our sin. We try to live holy lives. We, we, we try to temper our, um, our desires and our drives and our love for the world. And all of that makes sense if Jesus is alive and he's redeemed us and he's coming again and he's going to make all things new and he's going to defeat death and this world is not our home but it's just a foretaste of what's to come. That all makes sense. But if there's none of that, we are idiots. So seven, if Christ is not raised from the dead, Paul takes up a, we might call it a bar chant of the day. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection and if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we ought to squeeze as much joy, as much hedonistic, physical, fleshly joy out of this world as we can. We shouldn't repress anything. Let's just eat and drink and have a blast because we might not wake up tomorrow. And that's antithetical to the gospel because the gospel says, let us cling to Jesus and let us sacrifice everything for him because we might be with him tomorrow. But if there is no Jesus to be with, then we are to be pitied and we should just go on the most hedonistic bender you could ever imagine. And because this is being live streamed, I feel the need to say I'm not commending that. This is a philosophical argument. So what Paul is arguing is that truth matters. In particular, the truth about the gospel of Jesus matters. And even more particularly, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of everything in our faith. If there was no resurrection we have no faith. If the resurrection was just a metaphor to make Christians feel better, we have no faith. But if it really happened, Jesus really is the Lord. He really defeated death. He really defeated sin. And he really offers everlasting life. Which leads to the second point. A life in the living Christ. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All right, that's very wordy, but listen to what he's saying: Christ did rise from the dead, because there is resurrection, and there is life everlasting. And not only did Christ rise the dead, but he brings that hope of resurrection life to all who believe in him. So so Paul makes this very biblical parallel that that there there was a man, the first human, his name was Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden, and we're all in Adam, which means we're all in sin like Adam. So we all deserve death like Adam. And then he says, but in Christ, we've been made alive. And as Christ was made alive as the first fruits, he offers that eternal resurrection life in the presence and the kingdom of God to all who believe in his name. This is our hope. Christ is alive and he shares the fruits of his resurrection with his people. That's our hope. So if you're here today kind of exploring Christianity, wondering like, is this Jesus thing for me? Hear this. Our faith is not about moral performance. Our faith is not about dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Our faith is about knowing the resurrected Jesus. And what Christ has done is given us what we could never earn. Forgiveness, righteousness, holiness, and acceptance into the presence of God. So Christ indeed is alive and he is sharing his resurrection life with all who come To him. And so we get this beautiful picture of what our future looks like. Verse 23, he says, In order, Christ is the first fruits, meaning Christ is the first to rise, but first fruits mean there are more fruits, and so we get to go with him. And then Christ is coming again, and when he comes again, he will will raise all those who are in him. And then will come the end, and then he will establish an everlasting kingdom in the presence of our great God, and we as his children get to share in it. So what we're being promised is that there is an everlasting life in Christ that is good and right and just and worthwhile and helpful and joyful and forgiving and lasting and everlasting and worth all sacrifice that Christ offers to those who come to him by faith. So come to him by faith and trust in him. Now remember earlier I said, we're gonna see that our our practical living needs the truth, but that our truth also should drive us to, to, to build a house. And so Paul in verses 29 through 34 gets into some of those practical things for us. Verse 29, I just feel that I have to point this out. He says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? All right. Let me just cut to the chase. You don't know what that means. And neither do I. And we're all guessing, okay? So this week, when studying this, the biggest consensus I could get out of it was scholars debate how many interpretations of verse 29 there are. One guy says there's 30, another guy says there's 75, and another guy says there's 300. Okay? I actually think the best thing to make of this is Paul doesn't believe that we should be baptized on behalf of the dead pointing out an illogical inconsistency amongst the Corinthians. They were saying there is no resurrection from the dead and they wanted to practice baptism for the dead, both of which are wrong, but are incongruent at the same time. I think that's ultimately what Paul is pointing out here. In the first service, I said, none of us really know what this means. And one of our elders has like two or three PhDs and he was sitting back there and I was like, he doesn't even know what that means. And he texted me. So this is the first time ever in a sermon I'm going to quote a text that I got during the singing. But he just texted me and he said, um, my brother-in-law's grandfather was a pastor. And he wrote in the early 1900s the foremost New Testament scholar in the world. And said, could you help me understand 1 Corinthians 15, 29. And the scholar A.T. Robertson wrote back and said, I have no idea and no, neither does anyone else, okay? So whatever that's teaching is true, but, but we're wrestling with it. But, but nowhere else in the New Testament does it talk about baptism on behalf of the dead. So we don't need to build a theology around this. I, like I said, I actually think Paul is just pointing out their inconsistency and, and somewhat having a little fun at their expense. So he does that to make his point, And then notice what he says. He says... We can suffer much because this life is not everything. He says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if this world is everything, why do I keep preaching Christ and enduring danger? Why do I keep preaching Christ and suffer immensely? Well, I do it because... Christ did rise from the dead and everything I suffer for him in this world will be worth it in his kingdom which will come. So if Christ is risen from the dead, we can sacrifice much for Christ. And then the final point that he makes is if Christ has been risen from the dead, we can move away from sin and into a transformed life. So in verse 33, Paul says, Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. What he's saying is some of us are so enthralled with our sin that we're moving about like we're drunk on it. But he says... If Christ is risen from the dead, then he will, by his spirit, transform us to bear fruit in this life. We can wake up because the spirit is in us. We can move away from sin and toward a biblical lifestyle because of what Christ has done for us. Now, notice this connection we've been making. He says, do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. You see what he's doing? He is pulling together these two realities. The foundation of truth that builds a house that glorifies God. That's what the Lord wants from us as followers of Jesus. And that's what the Lord wants for his church. For us to know Christ, to be redeemed by Christ, and to bear much fruit for the kingdom. Of Christ. That's what God would want from us. He would want the resurrection to make a dramatic impact on who we are. So what I would say to you today is, will you consider the claim of the gospel that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again to pay for sin, to build a kingdom and to build a people that would glorify Him forever? And then would you prayerfully ask this question, God would you help me bring together? A confidence in the truth as a firm foundation. And a fruitful life that honors you in the way that we sacrifice for your kingdom, live for your kingdom, pursue your kingdom, and love one another. Would you pray for a life that not just believes in the resurrection, but is shaped by the resurrection? So now, our Father and our God, we pray that you would come and teach us today. We pray that you would take these words which have been spoken to us and that you would transform us by them. Lord, may your people see Jesus and be satisfied in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.